We're glad you've joined us today for Meeting with God. Meeting with God is the radio preaching ministry of Vertical Church here in Columbus. We're in the middle of a series called Hope in Crisis, and today we're going to listen to the first part of a message called My God is Bigger Than the Impossible. Maybe you've got some impossible in your life and God wants to speak into that. As we opened God's Word, we talked about living in the gap, the gap between when I begin to pray about something and God brings the answer, or when I feel there's a promise from Scripture, I find a promise of Scripture, but I'm waiting for it to become a reality, and I have to go through that gap period where I'm waiting patiently, not sure how long the road is, between when the promise is given and the promise comes. We talked about Jeremiah and his message to the exiles. Well, today we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction. Okay, so what happens is like this, okay? So you're going down the road, and you're saying, okay, Lord, I'm in the waiting season. I don't know how long this road is, uh, but I'm in this, Lord, and I'm going to wait until you bring the answer to the prayer. You, you show up, God, when you bring the hope that only you can and make it a reality. But here, here what about this? What about when you're uh, coming up Uh, on a certain part of that road, and the bridge is out. For all you can see, uh, the bridge is completely wiped out. It isn't a matter of, God, I'll stay on the road as long as you want. The matter is, it's impossible for me to get to where I believe God has for me. What do I do then? The bridge is out. And I'm really feeling like, God, this is impossible now. How could you possibly answer in this situation Well, that's the text we're going to look at today. The title of the message is, My God is Bigger Than the Impossible. My God is Bigger Than the Impossible. Why don't you just say that to someone next to you? Now now say it again with a little bit of conviction. All right. But if you're not sure, we're going to go right to God's Word. I'm sure you'll be sure by the end of the message. Why don't you turn your Bible to Jeremiah 32, verse 1. Jeremiah 32, Verse 1, what happens when I don't understand how God could possibly be faithful? What do I do when I don't understand how could God possibly be faithful? Well, God's word is going to speak to us here. I find it interesting here, Jeremiah at this point has been a prophet for almost 40 years. And yet even he had questions. Jeremiah chapter 32, let's begin reading verse one. It says, the word of the Lord, uh, these couple verses here are just context. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. And at that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. I should note this. This is the final siege. Okay? There were three sieges. This is the last one. All that Jeremiah has said about what's coming, uh, it's all ending now. It says, And Jeremiah the prophet was uh, shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah the king of Judah had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, the king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans and shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. 
And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Now, how would you feel if you were King Zedekiah and you're trying to withstand the greatest army on the face of the earth, and you've got a prophet right in the city saying, it's, not, it's futile, you, it, all these efforts, it's not going to amount to anything. This city will fall. And the king is going to see the other king face to face. Now, that's generally not a good thing. Okay? Uh, he did not want to see the king. He wanted the king of Babylon to take his army back home, but that wasn't going to happen. And so, um, clearly, uh, Zedekiah did what probably most political leaders would do. When you've got a problem person, what do you do? You get rid of them. And so he put Jeremiah in the house of the guard under watch. Now, think about Jeremiah's perspective here. Can it possibly get worse? It can't get much worse. I mean, you're in a city that's besieged. It's been under siege for a while. Jeremiah will later say in this chapter, people are starving. The point is they're breaking down houses just to keep the walls strong enough. Um, people are dying. The, nation, the, the, the um, siege ramps are coming up against the wall. You can see the end. It is awful. And by the way, you're stuck in prison inside an imprisoned city because the king himself will not listen to the living God. Okay? Fair enough? Pretty bad. Pretty bad. You think you've had some bad days? Pretty bad. But notice what happens in verse 6. This is the context where God speaks to Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, shall come and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord, and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it and got witnesses and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. And I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Meshiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. And I charged Baruch in their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel, that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Now notice that it says that uh, um, Jeremiah's cousin here, or really his uncle's family member, uh, comes to him and offers him a field in Anathoth. Now Anathoth, as we discovered a couple weeks ago, is about three miles away from Jerusalem, not far at all. And as Jewish law would allow, 
the closest relative uh, in a family, uh, if I had some property and these were all my brothers and sisters here, the closest one, I would offer it to you first. And if you said, I don't want to buy it, then I would go down the line and down the line until someone wanted to buy it. Now, we don't know how many people had an opportunity to buy. It could have been a couple people, and they had turned it down. Now, why was the land important? Well, clearly the land was a part of the covenant um, and keeping it in the family was a big deal. Do you guys remember the story of Ruth? The story of Ruth about how important the land was to a family. Now notice in verse 10 and verse 11, it says that I signed the deed and sealed it and got witnesses and weighed the money on scales. And then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy. Now one little interesting side note. Uh, we typically don't know what contracts and deals were like in the uh, time, this time period, except from past, a few passages like this, where it actually tells us how contracts were made and how they were handled. You notice that it says there was one sealed deed, so they would roll it up, seal it, okay? And that meant once that seal was put on there, it meant you do not open this copy unless the other one is lost and we need to prove something. And that was saved. The open copy was the one to kind of walk around with and say, this is now mine, and I'm going to keep this nearby. Now, an interesting thing is, notice he tells them to put it in a jar, and um, what they would do then, people didn't have banks in those days. They didn't have a, a bookshelf to put it on. So what they would do is they would take these jars, they would put these documents in them, they would um, dig a hole inside their house, and they would bury it underneath there and cover it up. So... Um, as long as the crook didn't come within a day or two and you stomped it down good enough, he had nowhere of knowing how he could steal your property and steal the deed. Okay, it was there. It was there for when you would need it. It could be there for a long time if need be. In fact, if you think back to um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, think about how long some of those scrolls, it was almost 2,000 years those things were sitting there uh, in a clay pots. Now then notice that uh, Jeremiah charged Baruch. Uh, Jeremiah's scribe, he was faithfully at Jeremiah's side, even in the most difficult times. If you're reading through Jeremiah, on the, uh, I hope you notice on the back of your, just hold up your bulletin for a second. Uh, if you look on the back page, there's a reading plan. And if you're reading through that with us in Jeremiah, you're going to come up pretty soon on a time when Jeremiah is going to tell, he couldn't even go preach sometimes. He was tied up, clearly, literally tied up. Okay? If you ever tell somebody I'm tied up, just think about Jeremiah. He was uh, tied up. Um, Baruch was his scribe. And at one point, Jeremiah will send him in uh, to read a message from the Lord. So that was his scribe, and that was how God was going to work. Now, um, before I go any farther, we have some real estate people here in our church. Can we just agree this is probably the worst real estate deal ever? Ever. Okay, I just thought, what, what, is, what are the three rules of real estate? Okay, apparently not many real estate people here, not as many as I thought, okay? So here's the three rules of what it is. It's location, location. So let's just look at the location here and see, uh, maybe, I'll just ask you to give me a thumbs up or thumbs down and whether this is a good investment or not. Here's the first thing. This property has uh, easy access to a capital city uh, that will soon be obliterated. Good investment, bad investment. Here's the second one. A foreign army may be living on the property right now with uh, no hope of immediate eviction. 
And if they aren't living on it personally, they've probably plundered and destroyed everything on the property. Good investment? Okay, it's looking worse. Here's the final thing. The land will be desolate for 70 years, a prophecy you yourself have given, which is well outside your lifetime, and you have no kids. Good investment? Bad investment. Clearly, it's not looking up. Um, In fact, so much so, if you know what Jeremiah is thinking, he's like, God, what are you thinking? Like, why am I going to buy this? There's a good chance the people in Jerusalem were laughing at Jeremiah, saying, listen, you've been telling us this is all going to happen, and actually, you were right. The Babylonian army's here, and now you're buying property? I mean, I know it's a good idea to buy low. This is really low, okay? So everybody else is laughing, and yet, and yet, and yet. Notice what it says in verse 8. Jeremiah himself says, Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. This is Pastor Luke Aarons from Vertical Church Columbus. If you're listening to Meeting with God, you're clearly interested in God's word. One of the great joys of my life is seeing people grow together in God's Word on a weekly basis, and these messages are a part of our weekend services. If you don't have a church family, let me invite you to join us this weekend. Our church home is located in Columbus near Route 315 and Henderson Road. Details are available at verticalchurch.life. You know, in a minute, Jeremiah is going to express to the Lord, uh, I don't get this. What are you telling me to do? Why did you tell me to do this? And though Jeremiah does not know what God is doing, Jeremiah did know what God wanted him to do. Okay? He knew that God was telling him, buy the property. I know it's ugly. I know it's in a bad place. I know no one's going to be living there for a very long time. But when he knew that God wanted him to do it, he did what God wanted him to do. I want you to write this down in your notes. Dynamic faith obeys God courageously even when understanding is lacking. God may be speaking to you today saying, "Um, there's something that I want you to do. Or there's some place I want you to stand up for something. I want you to hold your ground. Or there's a place that I want you to go. Or I just want you to sit still and wait for me to do something. And whether that is to turn from something sinful or move toward God and do something right, no matter what it is, Um, God's speaking, I trust, to many of us. And whatever God tells you to do, uh, do it. It's very simple. I love the message from the beginning of this chapter. Now, more is coming later, but many of us, we want to wait till the rest of the chapter before I'm moving. And yet what God was telling him here to do is just, just do it, Jeremiah. Do it. And I love Jeremiah's sensitivity to God. 40 years in, everything's falling apart. And yet Jeremiah says, listen, if, God, if I see God's in this, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. That's great faith. That is dynamic faith right there. What do we do in those moments where we don't understand? I love the verse Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. Probably many of you have memorized this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's exactly what Jeremiah did. He just said, Lord, you're telling me to go in this direction. I'm going. I'm going. 
Well, what should we do in these, quote, impossible moments where God doesn't make sense, where it's not clear why? Why should I do what you're saying, God? Well, obey without delay. Second of all, when you get in a moment where God's calling you to step out and do something, uh, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. Um, Usually God puts people around us uh, who can encourage us. And if God's asking for you to wait or God's asking for you to go, whatever the case, get some people around you who will pray with you and get into God's word and let him continue to speak to you day in and day out. Okay, don't just run off. Let people be there to pray for you. That's what a small group is for. Then finally, entrust yourself to God. Every believer will face a time in their lives where they have to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, whether, the, whether it is complete darkness where God is just telling me, walk straight and don't turn to the right or the left, I'm with you, but it's completely dark or it's just foggy, whatever the case, there will be a time in your life where God will ask you to step into some impossible situations or situations where the clarity is not there. It is. It will happen. The question is what we do with that. Now, after Jeremiah obeys, let's uh, look back at the text. Notice what Jeremiah does. It says, After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Let me just say this. Great point here. You can circle this in your Bible. Notice that it says as soon as Baruch was done, as soon as the documents, as soon as he had the documents he needed, what did, what did Jeremiah do? As soon as he obeyed, he turned and prayed. I'm going to tell you that is a great advice for the believer. You might be giving this advice to someone in your life who's struggling. This advice might be right in your, gri- right in your grill, right in your face. This is a message that God wants you to do, which is first obey, then pray. First obey, then pray. Now, clearly, Jeremiah has great theology here. End of verse 17, he says, nothing is too hard for you. Now, here's the thing. Uh, What's happening in Jeremiah, by the time we're done reading Jeremiah's prayer, Jeremiah's theology is going to go head on with Jeremiah's situation. Clearly, he starts with the right theology, but have you ever had a time where your theology doesn't seem to match your situation? And you have to say, God, you, you say you're faithful, but I'm not seeing it right here. Well, that's what Jeremiah was feeling. Verse 18 says, so you show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and to this day in Israel and among all the mankind, And have made a name for yourself as at this day. You brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders and with a strong hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror. Verse 22. And you gave them this land which you swore to their fathers to give them. A land flowing with milk and honey. And they entered and took possession of it. 
but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They did nothing of all you commanded them to do. Ouch. Therefore, you have made all this disaster come upon them. Behold, the siege mounds have come up to the city to take it. And because of the sword and famine and pestilence or disease, this city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans who are fighting against it. And what you spoke has come to pass. And behold, you see it. Now, stop here. Look out for a minute. All that Jeremiah's, all of Jeremiah's prophecies for 40 years are no longer prophecies anymore. The reality. Okay? He can look out his window, so to speak, and he can hear the screams of the armies attacking. He can see them trying to fill in the wall and tear the wall apart, and the give and take of two armies trying to get at each other. He can see the people outside uh, shriveled up, starving to death. He can see uh, the boxes of the people who have died from the disease. Imagine a city for a year and a half with no, nothing coming into it good. He can see it. And he's saying right here, God, everything you've said, I can see it. I can see it. Think of how that must grieve Jeremiah's heart. Imagine if, if it wasn't Jerusalem, if it was Columbus. And the grief of seeing neighbors and family members dying and knowing the gloom that is just right outside the walls, more to come. Then notice what he says in verse 25. He says, yet you, yet you, O Lord God, after seeing all of this and bringing it to pass, have said to me, buy the field for money and get witnesses. Why do I need witnesses? Though this city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans. He's saying, God, you're doing everything you said. You're going to completely wipe this land out, and you're telling me to take the time to get witnesses so I can make a purchase of property? God, what are you thinking? Who cares? There's not going to be anybody living here for a very long time after I'm gone. You've said that for sure. And now you care that I get this deed set up right, and I'm going to spend what little money I have left for food on a purchase of a worthless piece of property? Keep in mind that Jeremiah couldn't read Ezra. He couldn't read Nehemiah. I think sometimes we have to make sure we put ourselves in the context. He had no concept. The thought of a nation being taken halfway around the known world and planted there and then coming back to their nation, coming back to the land of Israel was almost impossible. Like that was beyond what he could think. And to think that God would be able to do that after judging the people so hard, that just blew his mind. He couldn't, he didn't have categories for that other than to say, this is what God said. I don't see it. I don't know how it would work. Dynamic faith seeks God boldly, asking for clarity and wisdom. Now notice that God is not upset about this in any way. Um, God, is not, God is not bothered when we come to him in our lack of clarity and say, God, I, I, I did what you said, but what you're telling me to do in my job or what you're telling me to do in my family if I apply God's, your word to this situation, it doesn't make sense. Why do I forgive that person who keeps smacking me? Why do I try to repair this relationship that is done? Why do I do that? Why do I obey your word here? Well, that's why we ask. Skip ahead to Jeremiah 33. This comes right after the text we're looking at right now. Jeremiah 33, 1. 
Notice that it says, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still, still shut up in the court of the guard. He's going to say something here. He says, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. And he says to Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now, even after God's going to tell him things at the rest of chapter 32, there was still more things that Jeremiah needed to know. And I can tell you it's the same thing in our lives. Even when we follow God completely and we know what we're doing is the right thing, there's times where God wants us to come back to him and say, could you please explain that a little bit more? Uh, Or or, I, I forgot what you said last time. Could you say that again, please, a little bit louder? I'm going to tell you this, confusion is a time to call out to God and to study his word. It is not a time to walk away from God with our head shaking. Thank you so much for listening to Meeting with God, the radio ministry of Vertical Church in Columbus, Ohio. Vertical Church exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment by making disciples of Jesus Christ. If you live in Columbus and currently do not have a church home, we would love to invite you to worship with us. Our worship services meet at our church home at 1290 Old Henderson Road. Our church family is warm, loving, and would be so happy to meet you. If you currently do not have a place to worship this weekend, would you join us? As always, thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next week for your meeting with God. Meeting with God is the teaching ministry of Vertical Church Columbus. For more information, go to verticalchurch.life.